I got that word, excisable. He's a director at the research unit of the economics of excisable at UCT. Of course, excisable comes from the word excise, which is a tax levied on certain goods and commodities produced or sold within a country and on licenses granted for certain activities. So when you think of excise tax, that's what that word ultimately comes from, or well, that's where it comes from, excisable. Professor Cordon van Walbeek, good evening, sir. Thank you for your time. Yes, good evening, Congreza. SA cigarette industry is a dog-eat-dog world, and matters can't possibly be easier given some of the conditions that were levied against the sale of cigarettes in the early days of the lockdown. Imaginably, things are worse now in the dog-eat-dog world. That's correct. And uh, so um, the tobacco industry is a really interesting uh, industry. And uh, I'm the um, director of a unit called uh, the Research Unit on the Economics of Excisable Products. And basically our role is to investigate uh, the tobacco industry and to support government measures to try and reduce uh, tobacco use in the country. And of course, the last year has been very interesting for us uh, with the tobacco uh, ban and, uh, or rather with the tobacco sales ban, and with all the ramifications of that. And we wrote a few reports, we did a number of surveys among smokers, and we came to a number of really interesting conclusions. Uh, of course, everybody knows that the uh, lockdown is now over, uh, sales are legal again, uh, and we see that uh, the tobacco industry is to some extent returning to normal, but it's not really normal as it used to be before. Uh, and there's a lot of what it's called competitive changes that have taken place uh, over the last few months. And uh, some companies have become stronger, some companies have become weaker during this time period. And of course, there's a lot of acrimony and uh, lots of fighting and uh, accusations of illicit trading, of not paying the excise taxes and so on. So it's a really, really um, difficult uh, industry to play in at the moment because things have been so much extracted over the last while. Some of the issues come from, of course, tax and tax evasion in that space. It happens, which gives rise to the illicit trading of cigarettes. What about new technologies, for instance, vaping? What does that do or not do for the purposes of this battlefield where there is no love lost between rivals in the dog-eat-dog world situation? We know that those who are in the illicit trade business were absolutely booming in the lockdown, and whatever losses they might have had in times before, they more than recovered from that because people were still smoking, notwithstanding the fact that cigarettes were not available over the counter. So when we're talking about this battlefield that is a cigarette, or rather the tobacco industry, what are the nuances that are there that government has to deal with? Yeah, so if one listens to each of these uh, companies and their representative bodies, uh, one gets the impression that they are sort of angels and everybody else are the demons. Uh, and that there's a lot of accusations that are going around, uh, the one group blaming the other for illicit trade and, and so on. Uh, I think it's fair to say that there are no angels in the tobacco industry. Uh, they are all selling deadly and uh, harmful products. Um, they are trying to position themselves as being partners to government uh, and trying to... Uh, paint as bad a picture of their competitors as is possible. Uh, I think it's fair to say that one can describe the market as basically the multinationals versus the non-multinationals. So the multinationals, British, American, Tobacco, Philip Morris, 
and uh, Japan Tobacco International. And in the past, they used to uh, be dominant in the market. They set the tone. They charged the relatively high prices. Uh, they made incredibly large profits and so on. And over time, what you find is that smaller companies came into the market and these smaller companies started eating away at the um, interest of the large markets. And the large markets, uh, through various means, try to keep the smaller players out from the formal segments and they then subsequently um, force the smaller players to operate very much in the shadows, very much in the informal market, uh, more or less out of sight, and uh, also selling their product at significantly lower prices. And this has been one of the big bugbears by the uh, large tobacco companies, that the smaller companies have been selling cigarettes at significantly lower prices than um, would one, one would expect if you were to pay all the taxes. And the accusation of tax evasion has been levied very strongly against the local producers um, who have been, to some extent, operating in the shadows. What happened during the sales ban was quite interesting as well, and that was that uh, all formal outlets basically shut down. And if you wanted to buy cigarettes, if you were a smoker, you had to go into the informal outlets, and this included things like sponsor shops, street vendors, uh, and so on, as well as acquaintances who were essential workers, uh, gangsters on, on, uh, on the street, etc. So um, the whole market became very uh, much more informal and 100% illicit. And what we also then find is that the smaller companies were in a position to exploit the already established uh, distribution networks in these um, uh, informal markets. And what would have given them sort of the kind of traction is the predatory pricing that they employ, right, to undercut heavily the big guys establish themselves and because they're probably and for the most part equally involved in the illicit trading because of the non-declarations of tax interest it's not typically in their interest to do so you've already got a problem absolutely Uh, and what we find during the lockdown is uh, supply and demand forces were of such a nature that the price Mm. of uh, all cigarettes including the uh, multinational brands as well as the the non-multinational brands shot up uh, we did surveys which suggested that the average price was in the order of 100 rand or more per pack of cigarettes. Some people indicated that they paid as much as 250 rand for a pack of cigarettes at the height of uh, of the sales ban. So, of course, uh, the tobacco companies were simply printing money during this time period. Um, of course, the, the volumes were down somewhat. We estimate in the order of about 30% down relative to pre-lockdown period. But uh, the net effect of these incredibly high prices, no taxes being paid, uh, uh, meant that the tobacco industry, generally speaking, uh, were making a killing during this time period, especially the non-multinationals. And what we see during uh, the post-sales uh, ban period is that the uh, non-multinationals have substantially increased their market share relative to the pre-lockdown period. Mm, the mm. pre-lockdown, the, the um, uh, non-multinationals probably had a market share in the order of about 25%. As high uh, as that? As high as that. And so, as, uh, it's, it increased to probably 80% during the lockdown. Yeah. And then, of course, it slipped back off to the uh, lockdown. We guess in the order of about 40%. It depends a little bit on the survey which you're uh, looking yeah. at. Uh, or what, what, that, uh, what that percentage is like. But the point is um, non-multinationals have been uh, very, very successful in this particular period.
So the problem that is faced by government is how do you address all this illicit trade? Um, the tobacco uh, companies would tell you it's all because of the excise tax. That's not true. Uh, we've had high excise taxes for a very long time period. They always go up. They always go up. They always go up. and uh, but, but especially up to 2010, the excise taxes went up dramatically from year to year. Since 2010, they've kept pace with inflation, but pretty much not, uh, not much more than that. Uh, but what we saw during the pre-2010 period is that illicit trade was really not much of a problem. Illicit trade became a problem over the past 10 years, and it was not driven by excise tax increases. It was driven by, effectively, a lack of administrative capacity and a very substantial decrease in administrative capacity at South African Revenue Service to be able to um, administer the tax and to keep these companies to account. And, of course, you would be aware of Johan van Nochenberg and the whole saga of the road unit, that was very much a unit that was focused on the or the so-called road unit, uh, a unit that was focused on um, making sure that the tobacco companies were paying the tax. And once those units were uh, dismantled, uh, what we find is that um, the tobacco industry could do as they please. And, and we are talking about close or give or take, depending on who you ask again, some 7 billion rand of this illicit trading. That's essentially the value of this business enterprise. And, of course, when you say from 25 to 40% is the non-multinationals market share in the country, we can equally expect that that 7 billion rand is at least a base figure. That figure now probably sits, when we talk about illicit trading and sort of black market cigarettes, closer to the region of 10 billion. Money that this country could certainly do with. Absolutely. And um, so, so the number that the tobacco industry and specifically the multinationals are throwing around is in the order of about 8 billion rand per year of lost revenue. Um, our research <coughs> unit suggests that it might be a little bit less, probably in the order of about between 5 and 6 billion. Uh, it was in 2017, 2018. Uh, in 2019, actually, SARS was clawing back some of the... Um, uh, illicit cigarettes and putting them under the tax net or into the tax net. Um, but of course, 2020, we don't know what the results are going to be like. We're going to wait for the budget review to come out to get some indication of how much tax has been collected, but it's likely to be a bloodbath. Let's talk about solutions now. The World Health Organization's protocol uses best practices from a variety of countries to make sure illicit trade is eliminated or at the very least reduced. South Africa should probably look to reducing before eliminating because state capacity is a critical feature in all of that. And, of course, the strength of our border control, which at this stage is the less the said about that, the better. And, of course, we're talking about the use of a track and trace system as a solution in reducing this illicit trade of cigarettes. Now, how should or how does a track and trace system work? If anything, what is it? Yes, so a track and trace system is basically a mechanism to track product. And track product means you know where the product is going to. In other words, it starts from the factory in Heidelberg, for instance, and then it tracks where the product is meant to go to eventually at, say, the uh, retailer in Mowbray, uh, in Cape Town. Mm. Um, that is tracking. Tracing means you found a pack of cigarettes on the street. And what you then do is you can see where did it come to, uh, from, where was it sold, at which retailer, at which wholesaler, where was it stored, where was it manufactured, etc. And um, the technologies for tracking and tracing products like this actually exist. And even in countries like Kenya, 
they have introduced a very, very successful track and trace system where basically what you need is a specific tax stamp on each packet and each uh, each tax stamp has a unique code and that code can be tracked through the system. It's not completely cheap, but it's also not exorbitantly expensive and it allows you to see where does the product come from and it allows you to see whether the tax has been paid. If the tax has not been paid, of course you can trace it back to where it comes from and you can ask the appropriate questions. So um, South Africa has in fact uh, put out a tender for a track and trace system sometime during 2019. This was uh, a tender that was put out by the South African Revenue Services. And for reasons unclear to me, uh, the tender was extended and extended and eventually in 2020, the uh, tender was cancelled for, for reasons that are not completely obvious at this point in time. I think it's important I'm not going to throw any names around that. I do have the name that is so notorious for this nature of the conversation, but I still want to spare my life for at least another 60 years. So I'm not going to say that. Let me ask this. What would the terms of reference for the tender for a track and trace system be? What ultimately would government be wanting from, of course, this independent supplier of the service? And what gain is the ultimate? So, so I think it's very important to emphasize the one word that you mentioned over this, and that was independent. So, so uh, Philip Morris, which is one of the big multinationals, they've created a system, uh, a track and trace system that they marketed under the name Codentify. And this system, it's got a few other names internationally as well, um, is um, basically run by the tobacco industry, and it's a track and trace system. The problem with a non-independent but tobacco industry-run track and trace system is that the government does not have control over it. The tobacco industry has control over itself, and then they have to, in principle, police themselves. Yes. Of course, that doesn't work. That's like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. Uh, it's not independent, <laughs> and... In, uh, in countries where they have implemented the Codentify system, the um, evidence suggests that this system is not particularly successful in curbing illicit trade. So you want to have an uh, independent uh, system that can be operated by an independent operator or by um, a government institution like SARS, um, and that it allows you to check exactly what has been manufactured, where it's gone, where it's being sold, and so on. Another issue that I think I want to just raise with you is the issue of exports. So your listeners might remember that uh, when we went from lockdown level 5 to lockdown level 4, this was uh, in May of last year, some Mm. time ago already, uh, the tobacco industry was able to get a concession from government that they could um, uh, produce cigarettes for export. Of course, that is such a very, very contradictory type of uh, policy because you're not allowed to sell the stuff in South Africa where everybody's screaming for cigarettes where the prices are sky high, but you are supposed to be uh, producing them for export. And what we find is that uh, a huge increase in exports to neighboring countries took place in May, June, and July of last year, possibly into uh, August as well. What was happening was that the tobacco companies were either exporting them physically and then and are smuggling them back into South Africa. Alternatively, you can have so-called ghost exports. A ghost export is simply where you fill up the paperwork as though you are exporting the product, but the product actually never leaves the country and it just gets lost along the way. The product gets hijacked okay. or whatever the case may be. 
uh, and it ends up in the informal market. It never actually leaves the shores. Two issues there. Two issues there. That is a very cunning strategy by the tobacco industry. But, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's just an open invitation for abuse of the system. And sadly, the tobacco industry has has a record of significant wrongdoing, not just in South Africa, but especially in other countries, where they've paid billions of rands and dollars in fines for a variety of different wrongdoings, including things like smuggling. There are two issues, particularly to the last point in relation to the concessions made around April, May last year for the purposes of manufacture for export as opposed to manufacture for distribution internally. That was and could have surely have been a strong economic argument. In other words, keep the business afloat. Give yourselves an opportunity to pay your the people on your payroll really an opportunity to get themselves a salary doesn't really accord with the health protocols and of course you need the necessary state capacity to ensure that that is indeed follow through the reason why i'm saying there are two issues there the economic argument obviously made sense that's probably i'm thinking why the concession in itself would have been made but because and we're going to talk about some of the issues that you've already mentioned on state capacity to be able to follow through on certain programs that it introduces that is where, if you like, the egg fell. Absolutely. And um, uh, if you are already in a situation where before the lockdown, the illicit market was at least 25% of the market, it might have been more, um, where uh, the rule of law in terms of uh, this particular industry certainly wasn't followed, where tax evasion was rife, um, to then make a uh, so-called exception uh, for to, to produce for the export market, it really doesn't make much sense. At the same time, there's also the moral argument, and that is we don't want people to smoke cigarettes because uh, we don't want to exacerbate the COVID-19 uh, epidemic, but it's okay if other countries smoke cigarettes and let, them, um, uh, let those people become ill uh, and have more cigarettes to, uh, to smoke uh, at that point in time. It just doesn't really make much moral sense, and personally, from a policy consistency point of view, it doesn't make much sense either. This is why now, this last point that you've raised, or the last couple of points you made, this is why, for instance, the Tax Justice SA would say, if we had agents on behalf of the state at the manufacturing facilities of these tobacco producers, they could monitor a lot of these things that have got the paperwork to suggest X, but in reality, it is Y that is going on. So it would give better meaning to the track and trace system, specifically for track purposes, one. And two, if, for instance, we have to be in a situation again where the sale of tobacco and related products is banned, but allowed for export export purposes, it will be easier when you have an agent there to monitor such that they can be able to be saying, or they'll be able to say, uh-uh, send the material through, here's the paperwork. Don't be tempted to make it circulate yeah. within the Republic. But of course, there's a critique to that, that that's an archaic. In fact, you're the criticizer thereof, you're saying that's archaic. So what is the solution? Yeah, so um, to tax justice South Africa, uh, I think they mean well. Uh, and uh, they, they seem to be sincere. Uh, at the same time, I think there's also some form of agenda which uh, suggests that they are probably working hard for multinationals uh, and uh, trying to paint um, the non-multinationals in a particular sort of uh, 
uh, corner uh, to suggest that you, you have uh, people in factories, it's a start. But it's a very old-fashioned way of thinking about things. If the technology is there and it's been implemented even in countries at a similar level of development as South Africa or even lower, lower level development of South Africa, uh, South Africa like Kenya, why don't we go for something that is more foolproof, less subject to corruption, less subject to being hoodwinked, to being bribed and so on uh, by the tobacco industries in, in, these, uh, in these particular factories. So um, I'm not saying it's a completely bad idea. The, the principle is good to monitor the tobacco company. I think it goes without saying. But at the same time, I think it's important to realize that let's use the best possible technology. That what is technology available. is out there for the purposes of this monitoring and evaluation ultimately or tracking and tracing? You need scanning mechanisms. You need uh, uh, unique tax uh, stamps, etc. Once you've got that, um, you are in a position to be able to monitor the individual packs, but also the containers in which they come. Uh, you can monitor the master cases uh, uh, into which these products are um, contained, and um, you're then in a position to uh, to track and trace all cigarettes. Of course, it might not be foolproof right from the start, mm, but mm. it will certainly uh, discourage the most blatant forms of tax evasion that currently is taking place. 2055, perhaps one call may come through. We are in conversation, a very interesting one at that, with Professor Kone van Valbeek, who's the director at UCT's research unit of the economics of excisable products, particularly now focusing on cigarettes. It being referred to as a dog-eat-dog world. You've got the multinational corporations versus the non-multinational corporations. And it seems and sounds like, from the conversations we've had now, there has been a massive gain, open, close quote, gain, for the non-multinationals. And probably COVID owes much of those gains to them. But when, when we're talking about the industry itself, there are so many cigarettes in the market, black market, over-the-counter market. There are cigarettes all over the place. Now, I am smoking a cigarette. I'm really interested in this track and trace because when we talk about tracking and tracing, ultimately it speaks to state capacity. State capacity because of SARS officials or state capacity through what would have been a tender for the purposes of a track and trace system. Either way, you still need government and government institutions and government officials to be bent in making sure that they make serious inroads in the recovery of these precious taxes for the purposes of rollout of government services and products. But right now, you have a situation whereby even our borders are not secure. How are we going to monitor cigarettes how are we going to track and trace cigarettes? And yep. what are we going to do in that one case that we find somebody? Because you mentioned the rule of law. The rule of law, oh, it's, it's, it's just a, what, a scarce commodity. It's just a phrase that has been bandied about. It's useless without capacity and institutions. Absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more. So, um, sadly, uh, some of us suffered a lot of loss during the Tomoyani years. Uh, and the fact that the uh, institutions that specifically were focused on uh, curbing illicit trade, not just in the tobacco uh, space, but in other areas as well, um, that a lot of capacity has been lost over there. Uh, SARS has um, tried to redevelop this by recreating what they now call the illicit economy unit. Um, so to the extent that that unit will become effective and uh, 
where we'll be able to be uh, efficient in mm. uh, being able to address the issue, uh, that is going to be part of the solution. That is where SARS should put a lot of the resources to try and uh, get this um, uh, illicit economy very much under control. I'm, I've never worked for SARS, but I've been told that uh, a lot of the attention in SARS over the years has been focused on increasing the technology, specifically on personal income tax, corporate income tax, but that the sort of uh, the neglected part has been uh, on the excise taxes, and uh, that seems to have really become a very, very significant source of revenue loss uh, over the past number of years, and over the past year even more so. And so, final so, um, yeah. So, so, so I think it's, it's crucially important that we uh, are in a position to develop uh, these units, redevelop these units that have been successful in the past and learn from uh, the past positive lessons, but also the negative lessons in order to, um, uh, to re-establish these units really effectively. And that this, um, to some extent, fear of SARS, which has, to a large extent been lost, comes back. And finally, just a bit of positivity, and it's an argument, of course, that I wish to raise. If this were to take place, t- designed to make these inroads, it would ultimately stymie the increases, continuous increases in the so-called sin taxes, and it would even, not even inadvertently, it would even inject more money into the economy, not through tax, but through the supply and demand of these products that now are being sustained largely by tax. Yeah. So, so, so from a public health perspective, what you want is cigarettes to become increasingly unaffordable. Not so that people are going to be uh, going into the illicit market, because in a good uh, society you don't want to have in this market, where yes. this market very much disappears. Uh, from an economics time, perspective? Should, should I say that again? From an economics perspective, I understand the health question. 30 seconds. No, no. Uh, so, so from an economics perspective, if you increase the excise tax and you've got illicit trade under control, that's going to be increasing your total revenue for the uh, government guaranteed. Okay. Uh, you find that consumption goes down, but um, total revenue goes up when you increase the excise tax. Very well. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Very fascinating conversation. I appreciate that. And even the inadvertent lesson on economics. Professor Kone van Warbeek, Director, Research Unit of the Economics of Excisable Products. Very interesting chat, sir. Thank you for your time.